This morning's reading is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, beginning at verse 9 and continuing to verse 31. And it's on page 182 of the Church Bibles. Only be careful and watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sounds of the words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then he wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and the laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape whether formed like a man or a woman or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping things the Lord your God as a portion to all the nations under heavens. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his inheritance, as you now are. The Lord was angry with me because of you, and he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. But you are about to cross over and take possession of all that good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land for a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God, provoking him to anger, I call heaven and earth as witness against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. 
There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. This is God's word. Let's begin with a prayer, though. Isaiah 44 says this, God says, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Is there any other God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bring us to a realization of that truth this morning. As we look at these words from Moses, please convince us, Father, that there is no other rock. No, not one. In Jesus' name, amen. Page 182, Jerusalem 4. One of the uh, ironies of our contemporary secular culture is that we can speak about God but we don't allow God to speak. We can speak about God, but we don't allow God to speak. See, God is not absent from our cultural conversations. He features in our song lyrics and our movie scripts. He's talked about on major public holidays. The majority of people in this nation still claim some faith in Him. And you'll know from speaking with friends and family that God is still discussed, even by those who don't believe he exists. If you don't believe me, why not go into work tomorrow and uh, ask people in the office, what do you believe about God? And for every person there, you will have an opinion and probably won't get much work done at all. See, we can speak about God. We like speaking about God. But the idea that God might speak to us does not sit comfortably in our contemporary culture. See, the the idea that God might express his views feels restrictive. It seems naive, perhaps outdated, and possibly even dangerous. If you don't believe me, why not go into work tomorrow and instead of asking the people what they believe about God, start to explain what God has spoken. And chances are you will enjoy an appointment with the HR manager by the afternoon. See, in our culture of religious and moral diversity, we have a space for talk about God. Talk about God is welcome. But talk from God seems narrow, and so it's ruled offside. Now, what's the problem with this? Well, this morning we're going to hear what Moses says about the fact that God has spoken. Why the fact that God has spoken is not something to play with, not something to ignore, but also why the fact that God has spoken is to be embraced. 
And we're in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy is a collection of Moses' sermons. And uh, he gives these sermons at the twilight of his life, on the edge of the promised land. And it's like Moses' greatest hits album, his final release. He's speaking after the events of Exodus, 40 years later, after he's had time to mull it over and reflect on its significance. So we're 40 years after the Exodus, and this is Moses on the edge of the promised land, reflecting on all he has seen. And today we focus on the conclusion, or the final point of that first sermon. Uh, Clive took us through the, uh, the beginning and the body of that sermon, and in chapter 4 we get to the final climax of it. And at this point, Moses turns his attention to the fact that God has spoken. Now, I want us to see this morning, or Moses wants us to see rather, three implications of that. Uh, first of all, uh, that we need to listen. Secondly, that we need to turn from imitations. And thirdly, we need his help. So first of all then, listen. The main um, focus of this passage, there's lots of details, but if you want to see what the, the core of the passage is, you need to look at Horeb. See, uh, Moses focuses on this, the events at Horeb. Now, why Horeb? What, or you might be thinking, what even is Horeb? Well, Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. And Moses wants us to see the significance of what happened at Mount Sinai. What did happen? Well, Moses tells us in verse 10. He says this, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, or Sinai, when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land, and may teach them to their children. Here we go. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. See, after God rescued his people from Egypt, he gathered them for the very first church service. But this was a church service like no other. They met at the base of a mountain, not on Goat Lane, and the top of the mountain was on fire, and around the mountain there were black clouds and darkness. Now, you may have been to church services where you said the preacher was on fire, or the band was on fire, but Moses meant it literally. There were flames above the people. But interestingly, as dramatic as those events were, that's, where not, that's not where Moses focus, focuses. Instead, he focuses not on what they saw, but what they heard. Have a look at verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. Do you see the point? The significance of Horeb lies not in the spectacular fireworks, but in the fact that God had spoken to them. See, Horeb was the climax of the Exodus. Despite all the dramatic events, the plagues, the, the parting of the Red Sea, that was nothing compared to the fact that God had spoken. Now, if we've grown up familiar with the Christian faith, we're kind of used to the idea that God speaks when uh, Jason came up and read, I was glad at the end he said, this is God's word. 
That's what we believe, isn't it? The Bible is God speaking. And perhaps to us, Horeb seems quite familiar, or it doesn't sound that as significant as it could be. But you begin to grasp the significance of Horeb when you compare what happened here with how people saw their gods in the ancient world. I've got here an extract from a Sumerian prayer, uh, a religion based uh, in southern Iraq, and it was dug up, and uh, just uh, just have a listen to this uh, prayer. May my Lord's angry heart be reconciled. May the God I do not know be reconciled. May the goddess I do not know be reconciled. May the God, whoever he is, be reconciled. May the goddess, whoever she is, be reconciled. May my personal God's heart be reconciled. May my personal goddess's heart be reconciled. May my God and my goddess be reconciled with me. O God, whoever you are, many are my wrongs, great are my sins. O goddess, whoever you are, many are my wrongs, great are my sins. I do not know what wrong I have done. I do not know what sin I have committed. I do not know what abomination I have perpetuated. I do not know what taboo I have violated. You get the point, don't you? I do not know. I do not know what God I'm praying to. I do not know what violation I've made towards him or her or it. I do not know. It's a striking prayer, isn't it? It's striking because of the sheer hopelessness of not knowing. But it's also striking because of how contemporary it sounds. Is that not our attitude to God today? We do not know. God may exist, but he may not. God may be like this, or he may be like that. God may be a he, God may be a she. God may be thinking this on an ethical issue, but he may not. God may judge the world, but he may not. And because we don't know, everyone is left to their best guess. But Moses tells us this morning, remember Horeb. Remember what happened. Your God is not silent. He has made his voice heard. There's no need to play cosmic guess who. You know who God is. You know what he's like. He has told you. It's easy, isn't it? I, I, I find this myself, even after many years as a Christian, to, to forget the fact that God has spoken. It's easy to forget that God is a real character in this universe, with a real will, and a will that he has made known to us. It can be easy to get kind of swept up in the pluralism of our culture and, and assume that God is largely unknowable, that all we have is a best guess even as Christians. But Moses says, no, remember Horeb. God has spoken. And because of Horeb, we need to listen. 4 verse 1, hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I am about to teach you, follow them so do you may live and may go in and take possession of the land. Follow them so that you may live. I don't know if you've ever had one of those situations where um, you'll be asking someone, uh, your partner, children, friend, or something like that, to, to do something. And you say what you want them to do, but they just sit there in front of Netflix. They don't move. And what you say to them, did you not hear what I said? And by that you mean not did the sound waves um, go from my mouth to your eardrums, but you need to act on my words. 
Well, that's what Moses calls us today to do when he says here. He says here throughout this book of Deuteronomy, and he wants us to hear, not just the sound waves coming to our ears, he wants us to act on what God says. Now, next week, we're going to start to look at the content of what God says, but I think the reason Moses starts here with the significance of Horeb is so we grasp the significance of what Moses says. See, Moses doesn't just give us some interesting ideas about God. He doesn't offer us one perspective on God that we might choose or choose to ignore. But here he delivers us words from the living God. Words that will give us life. And we need to hear. We need to act on what we hear. Moses is going to show us later that you cannot claim to follow God if you do not act on what he says. After all, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. God has spoken, and so we need to listen and live. But moving on to our second point, Horeb isn't just significant because of what happened there, but how it happened. See, see, Moses reminds the people of how God chose to reveal himself. Have a look at verse 12. He says this, Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sounds of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. See, at this very first church service, uh, you didn't see the preacher. You only heard a sound. Now, why does that matter? Well, look at what Moses says in verse 15. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you out of Horeb, out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like, the animal, uh, like an animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air or any creature that moves along the ground. Do you see Moses' point? God is without form. Horeb, you didn't see anything. You just heard his voice. So don't make God like he has a form. Don't make him into an idol or an image. See, if you compare what Horeb, if it happened at Horeb, with other views in the ancient world, again, the difference is very striking. See, take Egypt, for example. That's where the people were. Um, their gods had forms. So the goddess Hathor was uh, represented as a cow. The god Tote was a baboon. I'm not sure how happy he was about that, but um, the god Min was in human form. The god Horus was a falcon. I mean, that's, you get a picture, don't you? That's how people perceived their gods. Now, it wasn't that they thought the god was an animal. They weren't just worshipping an animal. We, we need to give them some credit. But that animal represented something about who that god was. So Horus was a falcon because he was god of the sky. But Moses says, no, Horeb was different. God had no form. He wasn't seen. He was heard. And so represented him in that way is completely inappropriate. I don't know about you, but... Um, when you hear of the gods of Egypt, you might giggle to yourself and uh, breathe a sigh of relief that we're more advanced. And you kind of tell yourself, we're beyond those primitive days of bowing down to gods as statues. 
But if we think that, that's um, to miss what the attraction of an idol is. See, an idol was more than a statue, and um, people weren't just lured to idols for the fun of it. In fact, some of the idols required horrific acts of devotion. So why the attraction? Why go for idols? Well, just imagine for yourself that you're, um, you're in an agrarian culture, and you've got out the back door a field where you grow your food each year, And you look over the field and you start to become nervous about the fruitfulness of the harvest. You think to yourself, if the harvest doesn't come, we're going to starve. So what do you do? Well, you go to the relevant God, God of the rain, God of the sky, God of the ground, and you make some offering. And the God would return the favour to you with a bumper harvest. And by doing that, you would keep the God in their box. They could be managed. You could have different gods for different problems. You just needed to sign the right check. See, do you see the point? Idols gave you control. They allowed you to have God on your terms. See, the fact that those gods didn't have a voice wasn't a bad thing. That was their attraction. It meant that you didn't have to listen. They danced to your tune. But the God who revealed himself at Horeb was different. He had a voice. He was not to be put in a box like the idols of the world. He is to be listened to. I don't know about you, but when you understand what idols represent, it starts to get under your skin a bit, doesn't it? Because you realize that you don't need to be bowing down to a, to a figure to be guilty of idolatry. Romans chapter 1 says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Now, how does Paul describe idolatry? Well, he says it's exchanging truth for a lie, God's voice for our own. See, the diagnosis for idolatry is not are you bending down and worshipping an idol, but whose voice are you listening to? You just need to be listening to your own words over God's, or more subtly, Mixing God's words with your own. Paul also writes in 2 Timothy, For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Get this, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. See, Moses warns us, God has spoken. So don't turn to imitations. Don't turn up the volume on your voice over the God who has revealed himself at Horeb. Now I guess we might ask, well, how do I know that this is my danger? Well, a good question to ask yourself, I think, every time you look at the Bible, is how easy is it for God to disagree with you? How easy is it for God to disagree with you? See, if God can never disagree with you, Chances are it's not God's voice you're listening to, but your own. That's very easy, isn't it, in our culture where we kind of celebrate diverse opinions about God to stick with what we think God is like. To start our conversations, I like to think of God as... But that, Moses says, is to make God in our own form. And God has spoken. He has revealed himself. So don't turn... To imitations. 
But you might sit there and you, you might ask yourself, why is this God worth listening to? Why is he worth listening to over my own voice? Well, Moses picks up on one more implication, which we're going to look at under our final point. I wonder, have you ever had that feeling of, um, as you're giving someone what, what you know to be is the right advice, you know that they're not going to take it. They're, they're nodding, they're acknowledging what you're saying, but um, you know they're going to opt for the wrong path. Well, there's something of that sense in this speech. See, Moses warns the people that if they turn to idols, they will lose all that they are about to inherit. Have a look at verse 25. After, you're, after you've had children and grandchildren and lived in the land a long time, if then you become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing the evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land. You will quickly perish. Do you see? Everything God has built up so far, he will remove brick by brick and undo. But the thing is, the way Moses presents things gives a kind of ring of inevitability inevitability, uh, about it. Have a look at verse 30. He says this, when you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, you get the point. He's speaking about these things as if they're going to happen. He knows deep down that despite all the encouragement, all the warnings against idolatry, he knows that people, the people will forget his advice and be thrown out of the land and scattered among the nations they were saved from. See, Moses, at the end of his life, knows that there is a deeper problem with the human heart, one that even his ministry and his advice can repair. He knows that deep down there is an aversion deep within us to God's voice. It started back in Genesis 3. What was Adam's sin as, uh, what, what was Adam's reaction after he sinned? Well, he hid he ran from the presence of God's voice. And that same problem plagues his descendants, even to us to this day. We are no different. We naturally don't want to hear God's voice. What I said at the beginning about our culture, uh, speaking about God but not wanting to, to listen to God, that's not just a quirk of our modern world. That reflects an ancient aversion to God's speech And if you're honest with yourselves, you know that feeling. I know it. You know there are things that you read in God's word and your heart resists them. Things you should repent of. Things God says that are difficult to hear. Things God calls you to. There's a large part of you, at least in me, that doesn't want them to be true. I'd rather listen to my own voice And the thing is, that places us in a terrifying position because Moses says turning from God's word is the route to judgment and loss of life. And as the Bible progresses, you see that judgment played out. I was chatting to someone after the first service and we were remembering that actually in Judges, the very next book, you see the people forget all that Moses said and they turn to idols. Within one generation... And that trajectory persists, goes through the floor. And horror becomes to them an insignificant blip in history. 
and they suffer God's judgment. But despite that note of inevitability, there is also a note of hope. Look again at verse 30, and I'll read the rest this time. When you are in distress, and all these things have happened to you, then in the later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you, or forget the covenant with your forefathers. See, God had made a covenant, a binding agreement. He promised that these people would be his people and he would be their God. And nothing, not even their sin or their hard hearts would stop him delivering on that covenant. See, after these people were scattered, God's word comes to them again. Not at Horeb this time, but at Bethlehem. The word, we're told, became flesh. Now Moses said, when you hear God's word, you listen and obey. But when we saw God's word, we screamed, crucify. And you think that would be the end of it. The rejection of God's word in the flesh should have led to our rejection. But instead, through the death and resurrection of this word, we are saved from the judgment that should have followed. Instead of us losing life, of being kicked out of the land, Jesus wins for us an eternity of years. Instead of us being barred from God's presence, Jesus wins for us a new creation. Instead of us being locked in the inevitable inability to hear God, Jesus gives us his spirit so that there now is a new desire within us to take our fingers out of our ears and hear God's life-giving word. See, our culture wants to speak about God. We want to listen to our own voices, but, but if we listen to God, we find a God who is merciful beyond our imagining. And that, Moses tells us, is a God worth listening to. As we close, some implications. If you're here this morning and um, you're not a Christian, you're perhaps not sure you are, but um, I wonder, have you allowed for the possibility that God has spoken. I remember back when I was looking into Christian things, back at university, I um, had lots of opinions about God. I had lots of opinions about lots of things. I'm not sure. I was a, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty, probably pretty annoying. But um, I hadn't really engaged with God on, uh, on, on his terms. I would tell my friends, friends what I think about God. I hadn't actually gone to the Bible. And it might be that you're in the process of engaging with Christianity, that's why you're here this morning, but, but you haven't really focused on the right thing, what the Bible says. Now, I don't mean not reading the Bible, but you're still putting it through your grid of what you understand about God. But Moses says, beware of that. Beware of listening to our voice over God. See, if you come to God, if you listen to his voice, he says, you will live. And the question is, will you? But for us Christians, I wonder, do we grasp the significance of God having spoken? It can be very easy, can't it, to, um, to come to church, to, to go through the motions, to arrive, to hear the sermon, to walk away again and get on with the week. I, I know I do it so often. But do we understand the significance of what is going on right now? 
See, we have a God like no other, a God who has spoken, and his words give life. It can be very easy, can't it, to, to forget what has been spoken, to, to crowd out God's words with our own voice. But Moses' sermon gets us to think again and see that we have a God who speaks. And the question is, will we listen to him? Let's pray. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live. Our gracious, speaking God, we praise you that you have chose to reveal yourself at Horeb and most wonderfully in the Word become flesh, the Lord Jesus. We pray, our Father, as we hear your words now, and in the future, that you would help us to do what Moses commands, to follow what you say, so that we may live. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.